Welcome to Digital Marketing Intelligence for Shopify Ask the Experts, our bi-weekly live show and podcast that features expert interviews and case studies to show you what to do and what's new in Shopify and e-commerce digital marketing for 2022 and beyond. Ask questions, suggest topics, and grow faster with actionable insights and proven strategies from the world's leading Shopify and e-commerce marketing experts. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Digital Marketing Intelligence for Shopify Ask the Experts. I'm Marissa Morgan. I'm your show host, and I'm also the Director of Business Development at Engage. On behalf of myself and the entire team at Engage, I'm excited to welcome you to today's show. Today, we're talking about how to tailor your e-commerce tech stacks to drive the best customer experience and, of course, increase sales. I'll be introducing our guest expert in just a few moments. But before I do that, of course, I want to remind you to stick around because after today's guest expert's talk, we'll also share with you our Engage Digital Marketing News of the Week. Every week, we share a tip, a trend, a piece of news. And this year, our focus, of course, is Shopify and e-commerce news and digital trends as well. So stick around for that. You don't want to miss it. Before we get started, though, a quick mention that all of this invaluable information today is brought to you by Engage. And we are super excited here at Engage to announce that in the coming weeks, we are going to be launching our latest app, SMS Messaging for Shopify stores. If you didn't realize this, I've got an interesting statistic for you and a big reason as to why you should be using SMS messaging for your e-commerce business. That statistic is right now about 98% is where we are in terms of the open rate for SMS messages, 98%. Whereas right now, email is starting to trickle down to about 20%. So when we're talking about increasing your customer lists, promoting new products, starting uh, automated campaigns to free up time, and also obviously promote new products or engage with your prospects where they are, SMS messaging is a home run. Whether you have a small or startup e-commerce business or whether you're rather well established on, on Shopify, right? So we're very excited. This will be launching in just a few weeks. Also, you should know that our app is no code support bots, which means you don't need a big technical staff to run it. It's very easy to use. And to kick everything off when our app launches, we're offering 30-day free trials with up to 500 free messages that you can use to give it a, a kickstart and try it on for size and see that it's the right fit for your e-commerce or Shopify business. So stay tuned for more information on that. We're all very excited. Now, without further ado, I'm very excited to introduce you to today's special guest joining us from Toronto, Canada. His name is Paul Gray. If you don't know who Paul is, you need to. Paul has worked in marketing for count them, one, two, three, that's three hands, that's 15 years. And he started his career at a really fun company. I know you've all heard of Disney. And he's worked in startups and scale-ups. And what's really great is Paul is here representing Shopify as a product marketing lead for Shopify's ecosystem team. He is responsible for developer and merchant marketing activations and engagement. Shopify's mission is to make e-commerce and commerce better for everyone. And Paul works with a global ecosystem of partners to help find ways to connect them to merchants. Together, partners help merchants start, grow, and scale their businesses. We're very excited to have you here, Paul. And before we launch into learning more about Paul and what he's going to share with us today, I want to share a few fun facts about Paul. I think this is quite impressive. I've lived in one, two, three, four, five states, but Paul has lived in six different countries. His original home, Australia. He's also lived in Canada, the US, UK, France, and Hungary to boot. And outside of work, fun fact, and I love this as well. Paul, you're a big fan of the arts. You are a creative writer and also a painter. Welcome to today's show. Thank you so much for giving us a little bit of your time and sharing some of your insights and expertise on Shopify. Hi, Marissa. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here with Engage to, to talk all things commerce and you know, everything else. Now, it's funny. I did say commerce earlier in your, in your introduction, and I kind of 
corrected myself. I said commerce and e-commerce. Do you use commerce kind of interchangeably at this point? Because commerce is really just all over the place in all platforms. It's digital. It's tangible. It's, you know, brick and mortar. It's online. Do you kind of use that word commerce now, just interchangeable? Yeah, I think commerce is a better word now. Definitely, especially like things have changed so much in the last few years. And going into the pandemic, things were fairly status quo. Uh, then for quite a bit of time and in different places around the world, we were all kind of trapped at home. Uh, and that obviously led to a huge boom in e-commerce. Uh, and that was exciting because people were buying more products in a wider range of categories than ever before. So people that were familiar with it, who may be buying clothes or things like that online started buying king size beds or you know at tents for their garden you know large things that you might have only ever bought in person uh, buying online but there were also a lot of people that had never really bought online that kind of had to and as they learned hey this is actually pretty easy and pretty convenient uh, they got used to it then of course now we're seeing thankfully the pandemic is improving and a lot of places are moving back to more kind of normal uh, so it's great that people are excited to get back into their local communities uh, and shop locally as well. So I think it's it's commerce because it's going to be online, it will be offline. Uh, and then, of course, everything new like augmented reality, the metaverse, everything that's that's still to come is going to be yet new ways that people will find and sort of learn about and then hopefully buy uh, from from brands that they like. Absolutely. And I have to say that the commerce world is alive and booming. I know you're going to probably share some great statistics with us about the world of commerce during today's show, because, you know, your experience with Shopify lends you, I'm sure, to have a lot of examples of businesses that have been using the platform and, and what has worked for them. And a lot of businesses have probably been driven to the platform as a result of the pandemic specifically. Uh, but this has been almost a, a good thing for these companies because maybe they would not have, you know, done something like, you know, get onto Shopify as quickly as they did if they didn't kind of, you know, have that little kick in the boot kind of, mm -hmm. you know, weren't forced to do it. So I'm excited to hear a lot about your experience working at Shopify and some of the examples you'll share. But before we dive into today's talk on, you know, e-commerce tech stacks and and uh, how we're improving the customer experience and growing sales. Tell us just a little bit, I know I shared a little bit of your bio, but tell us a little bit about your journey and uh, what you're doing exactly. I know I shared a little bit, but a little bit mm -hmm. more in detail what you're doing right now for Shopify. For sure, yeah. I mean, so the journey began really with, with the Disney opportunity. Um, so working as a very junior entry-level marketing coordinator into Disney, I was living in the UK at the time, uh, and so that was a great, fantastic place to to learn. And what I really loved about Disney as a marketing organization, and we're all familiar with this, is the concept of them using franchises. Uh, and particularly at that time, even still now, uh, but certainly then, it was the movie that was the the tentpole. So a movie would come out, like Finding Nemo, um, which is a wonderful film, and then the Disney Empire essentially builds great experiences that people love around that. So. There's toys, there's stationery, there's backpacks, lunchboxes, video games, mobile games, uh, things at the resorts, on the cruise ships, there's costumes. So it's all one story and they do an excellent job of building really high quality experiences and products around that story. So that was a great way to learn marketing. And one of the convenient things that happened was um, I was working in a Disney's also very good at working on partnerships and collaborating with other companies to, to help take these stories to audiences. So. I worked with partnerships folks um, and we it was amazing. We got to travel around Europe and basically do deals with ISPs in different regions to have them bundle online games and mobile games and sort of digital experiences into their uh, internet plans and home bundle plans. So people that were living in France or Germany that had pay TV and internet from France Telecom or Deutsche Telekom uh, could package in you know Disney experiences as well, uh, which is great for Disney because these companies already had a network of customers. They already had a relationship. They already had billing systems in place. Uh, and so it was obviously rev share type arrangements, but we would make the product available to their subscribers and then they would pay us. Uh, so I really got to learn very early on the importance of partnerships and collaboration and finding ways so that you know the sum of parts is, is greater than the individual parts, um, that type of analogy. Uh, and yeah, as you mentioned, Marissa, then did that for a while, uh, moved into my own startup and then working for other startups. Uh, that was fun because you get to really be 
an all-rounder. Uh, some days, if you're working in a startup as a marketer, you might be working on the website, or maybe you start working on PR or some brand activations, or you need to do some advertising, or now, okay, now we need to make some collateral for our sales team. So I was not an expert in any of those things, but it's a great way to kind of force yourself to learn and find best practices and see what makes sense uh, and then build it out. So I did that for quite a while, uh, learned a lot. Um, one of the fun things about startups is that chaos and you're always trying something new, uh, but it can get a little bit tiring to think, okay, I'm not really, I'm not really an email marketer, but I'm working on email marketing. Uh, so you're sort of looking around a lot, trying to get tips and best practices. And I realized, I think I want a bit of a change to not, not to a startup, something that still has that, that pace and energy and innovation, but as a little bit of a bigger company. So instead of being a jack of all trades, I could specialize in an area that was more for me. Uh, and so that's what led me to Shopify, uh, which is a tremendous company, very innovative, lots of opportunity that's been realized and more to come ahead. Um, and yeah, I've had three roles at the company, which is also something good about this, this business is that you can move around and try new things. So I started in partnerships marketing, focused on large agency partners around the world, uh, which really I would always see and position as an extension of Shopify's own sales and marketing team. Uh, these are agencies that would help stores migrate onto the platform or maybe launch an e-commerce store for the first time or want to turbocharge their store or change something. So a lot of that kind of partnerships marketing. Uh, I then for a while moved to run regional marketing. So I actually focused on Canada, uh, which was great because it was all products for all segments, everything from um, so the retail point of sale products for small businesses selling locally to people in person, uh, all the way to working with the largest brands in Canada uh, and working with enterprise sales teams on building account-based marketing strategies and approaches for them. Uh, and there, since last summer, I've been in the ecosystem team um, focused on uh, how do we, the way I best position it is uh, how do we surface the right apps and partners to the right merchants in the right channels at the right time. So it's a lot of dimensions of complexity. Um, mm -hmm. But the, the fact is that we have an amazing ecosystem. I think it's the world's best commerce ecosystem uh, with a lot of innovative developers building solutions that merchants can use to build their own tech stacks, which sort of fits this theme. Uh, and how do we help those developers reach those merchants? And then at the same time, how do we help the merchants find the right developers as well? So it's kind of a almost like a matchmaking experience at scale. I like that. Now, for someone who is new, maybe they're they've just gotten onto Shopify in in the recent months, or they've had, they had a very small business, maybe something in the craft world, right? And they were literally just selling to friends and family, and maybe during the pandemic, they started working from home and spending more time on that business, and now that business is starting to grow. If they've never heard tech stack before as a term, how would you best? you know, define that in the easy to understand uh, definition for someone. For sure. So I think it's, I'd say most entrepreneurs now would realize that there's some technology that's going to be needed to run their store. So mm -hmm. if it's a person like a friend of mine, she's, she likes to make soap. And it was, I think, a hobby that she picked up during the pandemic. And so she literally makes soap and then wants to sell it. And she has no ambitions of becoming a global soap empire. It's mainly <laughs> just something to do for fun. And why not sell it as well? Uh, and she enjoys branding and, and that side of things. So yeah, how are you going to do that? Well, you could make the soap and then buy a stall at a local market and sell them in cash. That's That works and people do that. But if you want to get payments by debit card or credit card, well, you're going to need some kind of tech to do that. Um, mm -hmm. So that's, that's one aspect of tech. Or she has an online store on Shopify, um, which is a pretty straightforward store, nice, simple design where she just lists the individual soaps or bundles of soaps. Um, so that's Shopify in that case is the tech stack that she's using. And for most merchants, the, the, the out of the box does pretty much everything they're going to really need. Uh, mm -hmm. But you can start to do things a little bit fancier. So for example, I know that she likes to do seasonal offerings of different soaps. So like now we're coming into summer, so there's, or spring, there'll be a spring summer collection, no doubt. Little watermelon so, soap, actually. Exactly. Right. Watermelon right. and strawberries and all the nice yeah. fruits. So she could, you know, highlight these, these new upcoming soaps, or maybe she might want to use an email marketing app to let people who've bought soaps in the past know that this new collection is coming. Maybe they get, uh, just, they get to get early access to her next collection of soap. So in this case, she's thinking about things like, how do I do how do I use email effectively to get existing mm -hmm. customers to buy again? 
or maybe get new people to buy for the first time around my cool new collections. Um, if she makes, I mean, they are limited because it's only her making the soap, so she can't make that much. But right, you know, there, right. there is this sort of idea of like creating urgency and scarcity. It's a tactic businesses have used forever. So using apps and services that call out that something is a limited edition or you got to act now before this goes away. Or if you buy mm -hmm. today, you might get 10% off. Uh, so often these kinds of tactics require a different technology. Uh, and so that's where things like apps and services come into play. So as a store gets more experienced and more comfortable and they want to try new things, there is a whole world of developer products out there that can help them improve that experience. Fantastic. So essentially a tech stack, if you will, is the different platforms you're using to accomplish, obviously getting your product live online in front of people, prospects, but as you start growing and start using other applications, it's almost like you're st literally stacking these different applications uh, on one on top of the other and, and creating your own kind of individual customized way to be exactly. in the e-commerce world. And that's why I think that term tech stack, I, I don't know who invented it originally, but it, it yeah. must be based on on that logic that, yeah. yeah, you have your foundation. And in this case, the foundation is a Shopify, Shopify store, Shopify but then you can Plus, add right. other technologies on top of that and build your own stack. And when you think about it, different types of businesses are going to need different things. So one example I always talk about, because, because it's so simple, is let's let's say you're a brand that sells I don't know, scarves, scarves and hats. So this is a, it's a fashion item. People might buy them and then they think, oh, this isn't, this doesn't fit. If maybe it's the wrong size hat or I didn't quite like this color. So returns tend to be a thing that fashion brands have to deal with. Uh, and there are ways to be effective and smart about returns to reduce things like bracketing and, and people being sketchy with returns uh, mm -hmm. and make it actually a great process that keeps people engaged. So fashion, yeah, people buy the wrong color, the wrong size, they'll want to send it back. But let's say, on the other hand, you're a merchant that sells cheese um, and you can sell cheese uh, online now. Usually yeah. if you buy it, it comes in like a chill pack. Uh, but the thing is, you can't really return cheese uh, because the chill pack warms up uh, and it's unlikely that you as a person are going to have the stuff at home to put back into a chill pack and ship back in time. So returns are probably not a huge deal for a food brand um, mm -hmm. because you can't really return food. It might have been tampered with. Um, what might be better for a food brand is subscriptions. So lots of people really like cheese. I love cheese. So why not make it a subscription? So once a month you get a box of new cheeses. Um, so subscriptions might make sense for a food merchant. They probably don't make sense for a hat merchant. I don't think many people would subscribe to get one hat every a month. A hat every month. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It, it could happen, but, but probably not. That so, person might have a problem if they really exactly. need a hat every maybe month. Maybe they got a lot of horse races yeah. or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> well, let me share for the audience who may be watching us via video. And obviously, if you're listening to the podcast, I'll read through this for you. But again, we're talking about how to tailor your e-commerce tech stack to drive the best customer experience and increase sales. Now, we've really already learned and we can go into it a little bit more, I think, but um, why brands need to differentiate and optimize their tech stack. We're learning that obviously different companies and different products have different needs, right? So, so that's pretty much easy to understand, but we'll maybe dive into that just a little bit more, learn a little bit more about what e-commerce is doing right now and the trends. Thanks to Paul's experience with Shopify, he knows so much. And we'll also talk about how brands need to do this, how they need to differentiate and optimize their tech stack by looking at their business funnel, which obviously will go through the funnel quickly with Paul attracting the audience to the store, the experience on site, converting and increasing your average order value. We just talked about fulfillment and return management. That's a big piece of it. And then obviously the post sales experience. But uh, Paul, I'd love to hear from you. Um, maybe a few statistics you may have about right now the trend of commerce and how much it is growing. Because thanks to Shopify, it's easier more than ever to, to take your business online. So what are the trends that you're seeing right now in the world of commerce? Yeah, I think if we look now, it's it's really the last two years and, and what changed then. I know there was a, a well-publicized McKinsey study that essentially said 10 years worth of e-commerce innovation happened within 90 days, uh, I guess from March through May or June of 2020 when the pandemic first kicked in and everything shut down. Uh, and I remember working with uh, our sales team on lots of very large brands who had essentially neglected e-commerce for a long time. 
suddenly seeing their entire retail network shut, absolutely no way to get product to people, having to spin up stores in a matter of days. And they did. And you could get a basic store up and running in, in no time at all, uh, even for a very large brand. Uh, and then, of course, they would then tailor and refine and, and make their stores more sophisticated. And now they've stuck with that. Uh, so I think 10 years of innovation in, in the first 90 days is, is a stat that really stood out. Um, and even though the world, obviously, with the pandemic is is improved, maybe it's not fully over. Hopefully it is. But it's it seems that now we're going to be seeing, you know, it might be lockdowns or restrictions in certain places and then other places. So it probably won't be everywhere all at once. Um, mm-hmm. But that will be something that has to still be navigated. Um, obviously, there's a lot of international uh, things happening at the moment, the conflict, um, economic uncertainty, inflation, uh, and then just the continued pace of technology and social change. So lots of things that might seem like they could be uh, damaging to to business and entrepreneurs, but at the same time, commerce just continues to grow. Uh, so the stat that, that I really think stands out now is that worldwide e-commerce sales in 2022 are set to exceed $5 trillion for the first time ever. Um, which will account for over 20% of total retail sales. Uh, and that's from eMarketer. So it's pretty phenomenal. Uh, I'm not sure what that was a few years ago. It was probably half of that. So the pandemic certainly accelerated that. And yeah, to that point, more people are buying more products in more categories than ever before. Uh, that's only going to increase. Um, but at the same time, people still like buying in person. Um, yeah. We like to see that people like to buy in person from stores that are near them uh, and that they like to buy from. Uh, and I think the pandemic also helped with that a lot. A lot of people really got reinvested in their local communities, mm-hmm. uh, thinking, hey, how can I buy something? And, and as supply chains and, and things got disrupted, it also became quite convenient. If you could just pop down to your store and do a curbside pickup for new bed sheets or toilet paper or whatever it might be, well, then why not? Like you're supporting a local business and it's convenient and maybe it's actually even faster than some of the behemoth companies that, that were sort of struggling at the time to to get stuff out in, in sort of the two days or less standards. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I'm definitely part of the consumer group that started buying different and more larger items online. I am part of the king size bed uh, consumer. Oh, yeah. uh, but mm-hmm. what's interesting is I actually had a not so great experience when I purchased a bed online mm-hmm. uh, because it ended up not fitting my needs. It was not to the comfort level that I needed to survive. We all know we need sleep. And so I ended up returning that, which was also quite difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, it ended up being donated essentially, um, mm-hmm. which, you know, the, the company can certainly handle that as a write-off you would assume. But, you know, again, those beds that come all folded up in like a little box that then expand to be humongous. It's easy to ship kind of like the cheese, hard to ship back. So there's Mm -hmm. certainly a a set of issues with uh, certain retailers that do that. But I ended up going down to my local favorite department store that I knew carried mattresses and had to literally get on them and feel them. And I felt much more confident doing it that way. Uh, But that was an interesting lesson. I'm comfortable buying certain products online, clothes, certain textiles, you know, certain things, but even like candles, something I want to smell or something mm-hmm. that for me is is going to be a, a big ticket item. I don't think I'd buy a car online unless I went and test drove it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I'm sure it tells people too a lot about their, their selves based on their, uh, you know, their shopping habits and how they did evolve and change during the pandemic as well. Yeah, I'm sure if anyone ever says the future of commerce is online or the future of commerce is this, it's no, the future of commerce is all of these things. And it's about building omni-channel and building the right experiences for customers in the way that they want to to buy from you. So mm-hmm. lots of brands will be able to sell online as well as in person. And even, even in that sort of the bed example, like there's some companies, it's Endy and Casper and different brands like that really kind of got their start with that mattress in the box. Mm-hmm. Um, but they've also been doing a lot of pop-up shop type experiences in large yes. metro areas. So you could go in in a downtown location and literally get on the bed and sit on it and see how it feels. Um, but then you don't buy it there. They don't have a huge inventory of stock. It's just a showroom. And then you go off and you order it and it comes delivered in the box conveniently. Which is nice. That's that's almost the best of both worlds. In the middle of your mm-hmm. day grocery shopping, you can pop in, test a bed, say, okay, I think it's between these two. Honey, what do you think? Oh, this, okay, great. And hey, maybe you're not even ready to purchase now. Maybe 
you're waiting for a bonus check from work or something like that, you can go home, you can streamline the purchase date, you can streamline the delivery. And again, even when you get it, maybe it's not the right time to set it up. That's okay. It's in a box, right? Mm -hmm. So this is so interesting. Well, let's talk a little bit about, obviously, we learned a little bit why companies need to differentiate and optimize their tech stack. But let's learn a little bit about what we're looking at as we work our way down the sales funnel. Mm -hmm. Um, First, we're obviously trying to attract the audience to our store. Um, are there any tips or insights you'd like to share with us on what you're seeing has worked well um, and whether that does really differ from business to business or industry to industry? Or are there some things kind of across the board that you see working very well now in this new kind of post-pandemic world? Yeah, so attracting audience is obviously super important. It's getting people into the top of the funnel. Um mm-hmm. And there's, I guess you could split it up into there's organic approaches to that and then paid approaches. So organic is things that aren't really going to sort of have a, a fixed media cost or a paid uh, cost to, to buy. Uh, and then you can also, of course, pay to advertise. And that's, you know, throughout history, advertising has been a key part of running any business. You know, mm-hmm. it was there was print ads and catalog ads and radio ads and then TV ads, movie ads, digital ads. So that industry exists and will continue to exist, and it's important to to leverage that correctly. Um, okay. But I think it's really about building, very importantly, a unique story. Like, what is unique about the brand that that you have, and what are you offering, uh, and how is that different, and who is it for? And then focusing the marketing on that rather than the traditional, let's just shotgun ads out everywhere and hope for the best. Mm-hmm. Um, like one example I'll talk about is a brand called Thousand, which is based in LA, and they make really cool, very unique looking bike helmets. Um, and so it's a really great story. The founder actually had a personal story. She enjoyed cycling along with some friends. And unfortunately, in, in an incident, uh, a friend of hers had a bike accident and passed away. Uh, they were not wearing a helmet, and she, nor was she. And she started thinking, why, why, didn't, why aren't we wearing the helmets? And part of it was they didn't like the design. So they ran a Kickstarter. They launched their helmet. Uh, got a lot of traction and interest because it's this very unique, cool-looking design, quite different to a regular bike helmet, uh, and they started to sell it. Um, these are, I'd say they're premium-type helmets. I'm sure you could go down to a local store and buy a bike helmet for $15, $20 for the low-end ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are more like $60 to $100 plus, uh, so they're a much higher price point. Um, so it's not for everyone. It's for people that are more stylish or like a certain look or want to be safe but don't want to wear maybe a boring looking bike helmet. So they <laughs> or they're sort of just avid this- bikers, right? So yeah, they're always exactly. wearing a helmet every day. It's like, why not make a statement or feel extra chic, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. And they're very cool. Like they have lots of different designs. Uh, like there's this one, which is white with like the red, white, and blue stripes on it. It looks like something from France in the sixties. <laughs> so yeah, it's really kind cool. of cool vibe to it. Um, so they've been very defined in who their audience is. Uh, and then as they they market, uh, they try to reach out to people that are interested in that. Um, and then it's using the classic tools and technologies that are available now. So like remarketing, uh, using Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat and TikTok and different channels, uh, which you can access through Shopify uh, to define what type of person it is you'd like to show this to, try to capture their interest, get them intrigued, that classic awareness interest action model, uh, and hopefully come to your landing page or your site where they can learn a bit more uh, and maybe convert, but at the same time, even if they don't convert on that first time, it's seeing if you can get them to sign up uh, to a newsletter with a discount code or using you know, cookies and, and things like that to show them follow-up ads for a period of time afterwards. Now, that industry is, of course, changing. There's lots of privacy rules and things that are changing how that model works, um, but it's it's not to... It's not that they're trying to stop that. It's just trying to do it in, I guess, a more privacy-considerate way. Uh, so I think definitely brands should look at First, their story, uh, who is their customer, uh, how would this product be a benefit to that customer, and then start experimenting and testing things. That's that's the beginning round. And then we move to on-site experience, which I know we can all talk about our experiences with certain websites and, and why we got frustrated and ultimately didn't purchase or how we felt like there was so much friction to get from one part of the website to the next or how we couldn't find something versus, you know, great stories where we felt like a website flowed. We felt like it told a brand story. It was engaging. It was easy to use. It had really great product pictures. Are there Mm -hmm. any tips you'd like to share with us when it comes to, you know, building this on-site experience? Because we all know customer experience is is huge. That's one of the biggest reasons that people become loyal customers and continue to shop. It's because they have a great customer experience. And that does really start 
with how they're brought to your website, but then ultimately on your on your store or on your website. Yeah, definitely. So I think that the, that's a great point. The website is your online store. And mm-hmm. it might be good to kind of even think back to when, I mean, even now you could walk into a retail store, particularly local stores and local businesses rather than chains, um, where the founder really likes whatever it is that they're selling. I went to one a few weeks ago in Calgary and it was a store that just sold accessories for dogs. So it was little coats for dogs and mats and super high-end dog treats and things like that. And they just love dogs and they encourage dogs to come in there. So you get that sense. Like, and as soon as you walk in, they greet you. We had a dog, so they ask about your dog. So it's very personal instantly. What do you, what brings you here today? Why are you in Calgary? What are you looking for? How can I help you? So that's, that's kind of a class uh, business service as a store. How do you try to do that on a website? Um, where you can't really talk to them, but you have other tools available. So having really clear product information, nice photos, um, different photos, not just a photo of the dog bed, just one flat photo, the dog bed from 10 different directions. Um, There's even apps that help you turn it into a three-dimensional spinning model so you can see how it looks or maybe even see how it would look in your living room. Um, So trying to recreate that experience. using on-site chat experiences. Um, one merchant I know of, uh, it's called Skinny Mixes. They make these uh, sugar-free uh, like flavors and syrups and things that you can put into coffees. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they use a Facebook chatbot on their site. It's powered by Octane AI, one of the apps on the platform, uh, which just welcomes you to the site, asks what you're looking for that day, gives you recipes mm-hmm. and tips and things like that. Um, so yeah, how do you create a sort of an expert staff person experience uh, online. Um, Another thing that people like, like, you know, when you go into a store and maybe if it's a fashion store and and you're looking at something and someone cool walks in and they look at something, you just can't help but think, what are they looking at? What are they thinking about buying? Which hat are they going to be buying? Um, People love to know that other people trust products. So that's why word of mouth is so important. And there's a lot of things that you can do that, that emphasize that. Um, one brand I've spoken to uh, quite a bit is a company called Crossrope, which was founded by a U.S. Navy veteran who just wasn't happy with the skipping ropes that he could buy in stores. And so he decided to build his own skipping rope. But instead of just like a cheap $2 plasticky kind of rope, he made like a really high intensity, high uh, quality rope um, that had solid metal handles. And I'm probably going to get the wording wrong, but the rope itself, you could actually pull out and plug in different weights of rope. So you could start oh, with yeah. a light rope, then go to a medium rope, and then go to a heavy rope. Wow. Uh, and the heavier the rope, the harder the workout. Uh, wow, so very, I didn't very, know that. Oh, yeah, that's very, very high quality, uh, very unique. But it's also that stuff doesn't come cheap. So these mm-hmm. jump ropes cost anywhere from 100 to, I think, up to almost $200. Wow. So that's interesting because some people will be like, well, I'll just spend $2 for the cheap plastic one. That's fine. But but it's not very good and it's probably going to break and it gets all cracked and broken. Uh, so if you're more serious about it, then how do you consider that? But at the same time, still, it's a big purchase. Uh, so what they've done really effectively is work on using reviews and user-generated content. So working with Yopo, uh, an app on the platform, I think they've got almost 20,000 five-star reviews. So every time someone purchases a jump rope from Crossrope, uh, soon after the sale, they so they get some emails like, hope it's going well. Let us know if you have any questions, any issues. And eventually, this system asks the person to leave a review and encourages them to send photos in uh, of the product. So it might be them jumping by the beach or just whatever, like the fact that the jump rope can fit into their handbag or purse so it's easy to carry around. And so by having more and more of these reviews, when other people come to the site, they say, wow, 20,000 five-star reviews. This, this is pretty amazing. And you can There's click the reviews. There's something to this. Yes. Yeah. Yes. These are real people. I get this. Yes. I understand this. And then the other thing is because it's a tech stack, uh, everything is built very carefully. So those reviews automatically feed into Google and other search engines. So as someone searches for a product, when you see the search results, the little stars that come underneath, that's powered by these kinds of tech stacks. So, yeah. Cool. I love that. I love <laughs> My that. My phone picked up on... I I know I hear Siri trying to help you. (laughs) This is so neat. So, I mean, these are all things that make total sense, but you know, when you start breaking them down, especially when you share examples, because I mean, if you told me, oh yeah, there's this jump rope, it's a hundred dollars. And maybe I am someone who's very into fitness. I'd be like, what a hundred dollars for a jump rope. Give me a break. Mm -hmm. But the minute I was on their site and saw something like 20,000 five-star reviews, 
right mm-hmm. away my curiosity is peaked. Well, if 20,000 people think this is amazing and these are also people that are into fitness like I am, maybe there's something to this. And I would certainly dive into it. And then on top of that, when you add something like a, you know, a risk-free, you know, exactly. a, a warranty or a risk-free shopping, or, you know, you honor returns with like no questions asked, things like that, knowing mm-hmm. that it is a higher price point, things like that make the customer feel assured that even if it's not the right fit for them, that this company understands and they will be easy to to deal with when it comes to a pro- po- possibly, pro- you know, processing a return. I try to say that three times fast. Possibly yeah. pro- processing a return. Um, what about fulfillment and returns? You know, speaking of returns, let's talk a little bit about how you can make that more frictionless for a customer and what that will do ultimately for sales. Yeah, I think on fulfillment side, it's it's just making sure that however you've got your inventory set up, that you're able to ship it out uh, as quickly as you can. Um, mm-hmm. And a really key thing is letting the customer know what's happening. So whilst people want things usually pretty quickly, and some people have like an expectation of getting stuff really quickly. Um, I, for example, I'm kind of the opposite of that. Usually if I'm buying something online, like I don't really need this in a rush. Like if it comes here next week, that's that's fine. If it's, if it's desperately important, then I'd probably go to a local store and try to buy it. Um, but yeah, if I'm buying a jump rope, it doesn't really matter if I get it in two days or next week. I don't know, it's probably fine. But yeah, a lot of people do have an expectation for speed and, and certainly there's ways to do that. But I think part of it is also just communicating really well. Mm-hmm. So letting people know, hey, your order has been placed. Um, your order has, is now processing, your order has shipped. Uh, and then using things like Shop um, is an app that, that we have, which makes it really easy for people to get notifications to know where their product is and hey, it's arrived in the nearest city to you and then it's gonna be out for delivery tomorrow. So just giving them that kind of visibility is great rather than you order it and then sometime in the next 10 days, maybe it shows up. Uh, so communication is good. Um, I also am a big fan of, and this is something that's probably not tech stack, particularly for smaller businesses that are just starting out. A few months ago, I bought uh, some model airplane kits for my son, just from a, it was a toy store. It wasn't locally, it was somewhere uh, in the same province. Uh, and a nice little note was just included in in the kit. And basically said, "Hey Paul, thanks for for buying these. I hope you have fun." That was it. It was just a nice, and it was signed by whoever ran the store. Really simple. I can't imagine that store is shipping out hundreds of deliveries per day, so it's not it's a challenging to scale that. Um, but it makes such a difference. It really stood out, and I remembered that. And now I keep that store in mind if I ever need to buy other toys or hobbies or things again, just because they were great. Uh, as you get bigger, you can start to automate and scale some of these things. Um, one area I think it's good to point out is is returns, uh, which we talked about the fashion example. Sometimes people buy the wrong color. Uh, you bought the the king bed, which wasn't the right uh, fit for the for the place. Um, so returns are something that that unfortunately does happen, and it is picking up. Um, there's even a term I I didn't know that this was a term. It's called bracketing, um, where mm. people will buy lots of something with the intention to ship quite a bit of it back. And so I was actually talking to a person uh, and she told me that she bought $1,000 worth of Lululemon stuff, which I was pretty surprised at. And she said, oh no, I only intend to keep $250 worth of it. I just wanted to buy all the colors and all the sizes to just check which fits me. So then she bought them all, tried them all on, decided which one she liked, and then just shipped the other stuff back. Ah, interesting. Uh, which is questionable because you know I'm sure she didn't make a mess, but you know some maybe they might damage the items, or maybe mm-hmm. it can't be sold again. So that's not mm-hmm. great from an environmental point of view, uh, from an operations point of view. Uh, but there are things that can be done to try to prevent that. So having you know really good photos or videos on the site so that people can kind of get a sense of what it looks like. Because it still is a hassle to have to ship stuff back. It'd be better just to get the right thing the first time. Uh, so really making sure that your pre-sale experience shows the product, uh, answers any questions, talks about the material, how to wash it, like whatever people might want to know to try to reduce the likelihood of returns. And then there are tactics uh, even when people do need to make returns. So I remember, I remember talking to a company a couple of years ago called 100% Pure who make makeup. Uh, so ethically, environmentally friendly makeup. Uh, sustainability was a big thing for them as a company and and sort of their brand promise. Um, But again, like people buy the wrong color lipstick or they weren't really happy with that mascara, so they would ship it back. Uh, And these are tiny little items. Each individual item doesn't have a huge price. Um, They might be even just a few dollars. So 
if you're having to spend a lot of money to kind of repackage and ship something back to the business, which, and it's lipstick, like you're probably just going to have to throw it out. You, you don't know if right. the person's you opened it or not. It wasn't great. And so the founders looked at that and ended up working with an app called Returnly. Uh, so the way that, that it works is as a shopper, if I buy the items and I want to do a return, I have to go to a web page, which is much better than shooting an email or sitting on a hold on a phone call. Enter my order number, the information is there, and I say why I want to do a return, and you have to give a reason for whatever it might be. Uh, but then the system automatically runs some calculations, figures some things out, and in almost all cases says, you know what, Paul, you just keep that and we'll give you credit to, to the extent of that purchase or a refund. Mm. Um, and so what ended up happening is people were blown away. They were like, wow, this is amazing. Really? I don't have to ship this back? That's great. Uh, so there's less shipping, less environmental impact. 100% uh, pure isn't getting like boxes of stuff coming back into a warehouse that they right, ultimately have to throw right. into the bin. Uh, and then the customer is super happy. Uh, it ended up leading to a 30% repurchase rate. So not only would they rebuy something with their credit, but 30% of them would then come back and buy something else because they were so mm. happy with the brand. Uh, and there's a lot of brands that have been doing things like that. So trying tactics to turn a return into an exchange. So someone buys a $40 item and they ship it back. I mean, yeah, okay, maybe you could refund them $40. Or you could say, you know what, we'll give you $40 refund or if you turn it into an exchange, we'll give you $5 bonus credit. So now it's $45 mm -hmm. and you can mm -hmm. buy something else. Uh, and more often than not, people will will try that. Um, yeah. So there's ways to try to make that fulfillment and returns experience better as well. I'll tell you, the, the more frictionless the return process is, the more likely you're going to gain that loyal customer. Because exactly. like, you know, your friend who had admitted to bracketing is that what it's called bracketing? i think it's called bracketing yeah bracketing. um i've never gone that far but i definitely have ordered two sizes because mm -hmm. sometimes i'm like i don't know am i a small or a medium yes mm -hmm. i'm going to be sending one back but I, I don't know about ordering like all sizes all colors like that's insane yeah. um but yes the, the easier it is to return the easier it is to also feel like you're being heard or understood when you're giving a reason for a return and and making it just so simple i mean I talk about Amazon a lot just because now they've gone up like even beyond making it easy to return. Now you don't even need to package your stuff. You mm -hmm. just click that you need to return it. They're like, great, here's a barcode. Just bring the item, you know, to your local UPS store or whatever. Show the barcode. It's just like kind of blows my mind. But I do think, you know, that does also lead to some of the bad habits that us mm -hmm. consumers have, which is taking mm -hmm. advantage of that as well. Exactly. Yeah. One thing I want to talk about as we wrap up our talk that we didn't hit yet is this idea of increasing your uh, AOV or your uh, your order value, right? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. What are some ways that you've seen your clients doing that? And what are the kind of new techniques? I know like, well, we can talk about SMS messaging and marketing in a little bit, but um, mm -hmm. how are, you know, the people on Shopify, you, you know, increasing their order values? Yeah, it's a good it's a good point. Like actually closing the sale out, um, and then also in, increasing the size of that sale. So on the closing the sale out, like yeah, that you know, the things that you do. So abandoned cart messages are quite a great use case, uh, and SMS is such an effective tool. Uh, and I've done it all the time because people are busy. Sometimes you'll be with your kids at a sports game, and you're kind of looking at something on your phone, sort of in a checkout, and then you've get busy and then you Timmy, go away. Timmy you gets a goal and you're like, yeah, exactly. Timmy. Yeah. oh shoot, we got to yeah. go. We got to go. It's raining or something. Yeah. yeah. Like life happens. Right. Yeah. And then you might just never remember to go back there again. Um, but if you've engaged in some way and worked with that online store and they have your phone number, then they text you like, hey, Paul, we saw that you left this in the cart. Uh, would you like to get it or make an offer or whatever it might be uh, or encourage people to you know, repeat purchase? That can be another great thing uh, using SMS. On the average order value, it's really cross-sell and upsell. Uh, so cross-sell might be uh, matching different products. So in the case of Thousand, while they started off making bike helmets, they also now make accessories like lights, um, a few other accessories. I'm not sure what else they do, but definitely they do lights for the bikes. Um, and I think protection bags to keep your helmet in um, and, and so on. So it could be that, yeah, buy this helmet. Why don't you also buy this, uh, this light set? Uh, or, or another product that goes along with it and offer that as a bundle. And bundling tends to work really well. Um, and then upsell could be, you know, buy two, get one free, things like that. Uh, mm -hmm. Little tactics that can can really help uh, people buy. 
Um, so think about, you know, if you have more than one product, which which products tend to make good pairs? Uh, and you see it all the time, like the classic in, in a retail environment, you're buying, someone's buying a shirt and they'll say, well, sir, this jacket would go really well with that shirt. Of course, it's that right. kind of tactic uh, done online. So it's using data, thinking things through, even if you have a huge product catalog, like with thousands of products, uh, the data that you have will tell you these three products tend to be bought together quite a lot. So you should then really always be recommending that to the shopper with an incentive. You know, buy these mm -hmm. three things together, buy two and you get 10% off, buy three, you get 20% off. I just exactly. got upsold on a new product. I won't tell you mm -hmm. what it is because it's kind yeah. of embarrassing. Yeah. It's a girl product to yeah. reduce your cellulite. But anyway, yeah. um, I don't normally get I don't normally get sucked in like on Instagram. Mm -hmm. And this particular brand had so many different influencer videos, so many testimonials, the before and afters. And I was like, okay. I'm going to give it a shot. And in my mind, I'd already decided what I thought I would be willing to spend on this product, right? So I get to the checkout because, you know, as you clicked to put it in your cart, the price wasn't there until you got to the cart. Mm -hmm. So in my mind, I'm like, okay, this is how much I will spend. And it was within the range, right? But then, of course, it upsold me. It said, well, if you add a second jar of our magic potion, right, mm -hmm. we'll take $10 off that jar. And we do feel like most of our users start to see results after one month and each jar lasts you a month. Mm -hmm. So I thought, why wouldn't I get that second jar discounted? Because if I'm truly not going to see results till about a month, I'm going to be really bummed if I have to go and buy a second jar, right? Mm -hmm. um, but that was like a classic example. It was already in my cart. The company knows it's much cheaper for them also to just add a second jar to the package. They're already shipping it to you. Um, and yeah. if it is a beauty product that needs to be used for a specific amount of time to achieve results, then of course that not only is part of their story and their branding, but obviously it's going to increase sales too. If they're transparent with people like, Hey, you're probably going to want two or three jars of this. You're going to want to use this the next three months. Mm -hmm. um, why not just buy it now? We'll, we'll give you the savings up front. I was like, okay, fine. You sold me. So now exactly. I got two jars of bum cream. So <laughs> yeah. hopefully it does the trick. And that's why like, it, it really is this looking at the funnel, like attract them, get them to, ex to explore on the site, consider, make a purchase, try to make the purchase as big as possible. And then after the purchase, make sure they're happy. Follow yeah. up, whether it's with a written thing or an email, how did it go? Is it meeting your expectations, especially if it's a higher priced product um, to, to see what people think. And then using things like SMS or email or different messaging tools uh, to follow up. Um, so it could be, Hey Paul, you bought, you bought the winter, the winter flavor of coffee, like the coffee bundle of like different winter flavors. Now it's spring is coming. Why don't you buy the spring bundle? Or here's a barbecue kit. Like now we're selling barbecue sauce, whatever else might be coming along that's seasonally relevant. You're making me um, hungry. It's the yeah, yeah. I'm here, well, Paul. You're making the sunshine. Me it's ready for barbecues. <laughs> yeah. I love it. I love it. Well, I think that we're running out of time, but I think the takeaway too, is that if you're obviously looking to replatform to Shopify plus, or those of you currently, you know, working on Shopify to optimize your existing store performance, obviously all the apps on Shopify are so great because they all are easily integrated right? Um, and they all offer you different different services. And as we've learned with our talk today, Paul, different products, different companies have different needs and what fits one company may not fit another. But by figuring out exactly what those needs are and basically kind of plug and playing the right apps to create your individual custom stack of tools, you're going to obviously have more success when it comes to you know, reaching your customers, targeting them, engaging with them, upselling them, interacting with them during and after the purchase, and then ultimately getting like a testimonial from them. Exactly. It's all very streamlined. It's all very streamlined. But, you know, obviously you can't put the cart before the horse. You can't ask for testimonials, right? Um, nor would you want to if you feel like you didn't offer a nice um, frictionless experience, right? Um, and you certainly are going to have a hard time targeting people if you don't Again, figure out what's so different about you, figure out what, what's unique and the brand and something to get them excited about your product. So fantastic. Exactly. Well, I'm very excited for you and all that you've accomplished so far and all that um, all the experience and insights that you're bringing to your position now at Shopify. Uh, before we get into our news of the week, is there anything you'd like to say, any kind of closing comments or insights on the, the topic today? I think I uh, look for ideas and inspiration. So many, I love speaking to brands to, to hear what they're doing. And so many of them say that they actually look at other brands to see what they're doing. So mm -hmm. to sort of 
get ideas and maybe if you're if it's a a fashion brand then take a look at what beauty brands are doing or if you're a home goods brand then take a look at what sporting goods are doing to see how how they're making things work and sign up for newsletters and just pay attention to what's going on because you'll then start noticing some clever tricks which you can probably fairly easily implement yourself great tip. Look at what your competitors are doing and read your competitors' testimonials because mm -hmm. I think you can find a lot of information in those testimonials from potentially customers that might be your customer too as to what their needs are and what's working for them and what their pain points are. Great tips. Great, great tips. Well, listen, before I let you go, it is time for us to share our Engage Digital Marketing News of the Week. Can I invite you to stick with me and then listen to our News of the Week and share some insights? Absolutely. Awesome. Well, today's news of the week is actually an article that we found. And the title of the article is actually Shopify Exec, The Four Secrets of Successful Digital First Companies. And the article basically shares four ways to be very successful at running a digital company with a completely remote style workforce. Obviously, this plays into all the changes that have happened over the last two years. But not all companies are completely remote. And what we're learning from the VP of employee experience at Shopify is right now, they are, I think, almost fully remote. And they do believe that they are doing impactful work with the absence of this centralized physical space and that that's not necessarily needed to do impactful work. So um, basically, the example given in Shopify is now that it is fully remote, and they made that decision in May of 2020, the VP of Employee Ex Experience has shared four different things uh, to, to help, help that be successful. So I'll share these, Paul, and then let's have just a quick chat about mm -hmm. how you feel and if you feel that working remote has, has benefited you, your family, your job, your position. But the first thing um, the Shopify uh, director says is prioritizing freedom and flexibility. If you embrace that your employees no longer have a commute, this allows them to create new weekday uh, rituals with their family and obviously build a more balanced life. And that is something that you can certainly um, embrace and also kind of nurture with your employees. So that was the first thing that they shared really has helped um, mm -hmm. with the work-life balance. Now, second, Continue to value in-person connections. Now there is something called IRL, which is yeah. short for in real life moments. Mm -hmm. um, and the Shopify executives share that it's very important that employers build in real life moments, whether that is a monthly team meeting or maybe a happy hour event every six months, right? Something um, to continue to engage the workforce, even though 99.9% .9 of the time, everybody is now remote and looking at each other through screens. It is important to nurture those and make those a ritual in your, in your community of workplace as well. Third thing they said is remote work allows you to hire anyone from anywhere. So you no longer have to hire the best candidate in your city, but you can truly hire the best candidate in the world for your position which I think is an excellent point uh, and an excellent takeaway as uh, the remote culture becomes more standardized. And then also build culture with intentional, thoughtful design. Uh, the article says, deeply consider the tools that your employees need to be successful now remotely uh, and growth opportunities your employees need. For example, talk about showing up virtually to meetings in the best way you can with the best technical setup. Since now, obviously, like you and I, showing up virtually is how we're showing up for a show or for an interview or for a meeting. You want it to be well lit. You want to have a good camera. And, and it is important as an employer to consider this and maybe offer these tools to your employees as well so that they feel that their remote time is just as valued as their you know in-person time once was. So just curious, uh, obviously, now with Shopify being a you know pretty much remote, uh, fully remote now company. Has remote working always been, you know, the way that you have rolled or is this something new in the last few years with the changes that have gone on? For me, it was pretty new. I have a lot of colleagues that had worked remotely for a long time, um, but I had always worked in an, in an office environment and I, I'm very much an extrovert. So I really do like being around other people and getting that energy. So at the start, I did find it, it took some getting used to. 
Um, but I think that was more because like everything was shut then. You couldn't do anything. You couldn't go anywhere. You couldn't see your friends. You couldn't go to a restaurant. Um, whereas at least now you can do that and you can get more involved in your local communities for that kind of social interaction. Um, but yeah, it took some getting used to, but, but now I feel like everyone's kind of getting into their strides with this whole remote. And yeah, you really do see how it offers so much more convenience. Even literally after this, I'm taking my daughter to the dentist, uh, which mm -hmm. might have been a hassle back in the old world because I would have been in an office, then I'd have to get home and then pick her up and go to the dentist. Now she's just going to come back up to school and then off we go. And that's it. There's and no I, problem. And, I actually and think I hear her. Is she yelling yeah. behind you going, Dad, come on, I got to <laughs> yeah. go. Well, yeah. listen, you guys can find out more about this article or if you'd like to read this article, go to www.fastcompany.com. You can do a search for Shopify Exec, the four secrets of successful digital first companies. If you're watching the video, we've got the link up for you. It's rather large. If you're listening, just go to fastcompany.com and look for the article, Shopify Exec, the four secrets of successful digital first companies. Well, listen, I'm fully digital uh, remote right now as well. I feel like I have to weigh in on this. I think it just makes for me to have a more balanced life. I had a hard time at first. I had my office upstairs in my dining room. So it was visible all day, every day. And I found that when I would shut things down at the end of the day, I was still constantly thinking about work. Um, so one thing I had to do was move my office to the downstairs. We have a, a lower level uh, where it's out of sight, out of mind. So at least when I would finish with my work and kind of try to transition to personal time, that certainly became easier for me. But uh, like you, Paul, I'm very much an extrovert. So I'm thankful for these, these great uh, weekly shows and getting to interact with our guests. But I do find sometimes I'm kind of like, oh, I kind of miss interacting with people, you know? So, mm -hmm. exactly. well, listen, it has been so wonderful to have you here for an episode of Digital Marketing Intelligence for Shopify. You know, as someone who is working at Shopify, you've certainly shared with us so much experience and insights on how we can obviously improve the customer experience, boost sales, and how tech stacks are the way to do it. I'd love to share with our audience how they can connect with you, Paul. And I'd like to share your LinkedIn link if that's okay. Absolutely. Fantastic. If you're if you're watching the show uh, via video form, obviously the link is up for you. If you're listening via podcast, you can find Paul Gray on LinkedIn. Paul, P-A-U-L, Alex, A-L-E-X, Gray with an A, G-R-A-Y is how you can find him on LinkedIn. Of course, we always ask if you connect with a guest after listening to their podcast with us, drop them a message. Let them know you heard them on the Engage show. And uh, of course, I'm sure Paul is open to connecting with you and certainly yep. open to sharing more advice and insights on how to grow your commerce business. Thank you, Marissa. It's great to be here today. Oh, it was awesome. Paul, have a wonderful trip to the dentist. And uh, thank you so much for sharing your insights and being a wonderful guest expert here on Digital Marketing Intelligence for Shopify. Thanks very much. Take care. You too. Have a great day. So great to have a guest here directly from Shopify, kind of that whole saying you hear it from the horse's mouth, right? We learned from him the importance of building your tech stack, making that customized to your business's needs. And of course, one thing we heard today, two things we heard that we've been hearing throughout the course of this series, it's so important to have a story that your products and your brands and your services always stand out when there's a story behind them. Uh, something that's going to grab your prospect customer's attention, make them feel something, obviously, you know, solve a pain point, but the story is so important. So embrace your story, share your story. But also we learned, of course, the importance of this SMS marketing, email marketing, automation, uh, really using great apps that are available, the Engage um, Shopify messaging app is coming very, very soon. Using apps like ours will not only help you customize that tech stack, but it allows you to upsell your customers, automate things. So that allows you to free up your time. And of course, you know, communicating with your customers, which we learned is so incredibly important. And then asking for those testimonials, right? A jump rope that's a hundred or $200, but Hey, two 20,000 five-star reviews, like that, that does have my, my interest peaked. So I think that Paul gave some excellent examples today to help you with your commerce business. And if you're not yet on Shopify, what are you waiting for? Check it out. And obviously, please connect with Paul Alex Gray on LinkedIn if you have any questions at all. And of course, you can connect with me as well. You can find me on LinkedIn. I am the Marissa Morgan on LinkedIn. I'm so bummed I didn't hop on that train sooner that Marissa Morgan was taking, but you can find me at the Marissa Morgan. And of course, if you have any questions about today's show, or perhaps you are a guest who has a lot of experience in the e-commerce niche, niche, 
Um, or maybe you have a Shopify store and you'd like to share with our audience what's working for you and some of the pain points that you've overcome in your experience with Shopify or Shopify Plus. Feel free to email me at marissa, M-A-R-I-S-S-A dot M at N-G-A-G-G-E dot com. I want to thank you all so much for watching and listening for today's show. Don't forget to stay tuned. We've got exciting news in the coming weeks. Our Shopify marketing app, our SMS Shopify marketing app will be launching and we're so excited for you to try it. We are offering a 30-day free trial with 500 free messages. So if you're not yet following LinkedIn, uh, the Engage page, N-G-A-G-G-E on LinkedIn. Look for the rainbow colored cog wheel. Follow us there. We'll be launching um, and dropping all the information on that app there so that you know exactly when our app drops. In the meantime, have an amazing rest of your day and I look forward to seeing you on our next show. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks again.